Now what I'm going to do this evening is I, I want to read from the scriptures and then immediately after I read we'll invite the Monteith family. They're going to come and sing to us two messages of song at this stage. And then after that I bring whatever necessary announcements I have to bring and then we'll have our offering hymn and then the Monteith family will sing to us after the offering again at one piece. So I want you to turn tonight to 2 Timothy at chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, just a very short reading. Second Timothy chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 10 to the end of the chapter and a couple of verses into chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 10 for our Bible reading. Let's hear the word of God. But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. We'll end the reading there at verse 5, and we pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing uh, these words that we have read together tonight. Now it gives me great pleasure to welcome back amongst us the Monteith family. Thank you all for coming, uh, children as well. We're really delighted to see you. Uh, we'll have some supper for you afterwards. Uh, that doesn't depend on how you sing. Say that. Uh, so we're really uh, delighted to have you and we're going to ask you now to come and sing two pieces to us. Thank you.
Testament, Luke 24, where those two disciples on the road to Emmaus uh, said, uh, Lord, abide with us, uh, for the night is far spent. And um, I remember hearing the Reverend William Beatty preach a tremendous sermon of encouragement just in those words, uh, abide with us. And of course, that's a prayer that we need to pray in these days. Well, let's just unite before the open Bible. Ask the Lord's blessing. Lord, that was already heard or been sung tonight in this church. We thank thee for bringing us to Christ. We thank you, Lord, for the reality of thy presence with us in the onward march of life. And we would think of this closing hymn, Lord. And we pray that thou will abide with us even now. Draw near, shut us in with thee. Bless us and help us and do us good as we meditate on the word of God at the close of this service. We do ask thee now, Lord, that thou will uh, be unto preacher and people alike all that we need. We plead the cleansing of the blood and the help of thy blessed Holy Spirit. We pray that thy word will have free course and that thou will glorify thy name this evening. For Jesus' sake, amen. And my text tonight is taken from Second Timothy chapter 3 and the verse 16. And my subject tonight is considering the principle of sola scriptura, given that this is the month of October and this is Reformation month, uh, rather than continuing with our studies in John 19, and we will go back to them. We were to preach tonight on the uh, place of the skull, and I was looking forward to that. And yet I felt exercised in my heart to bring a few messages on the theme uh, to do with the Reformation. So we're going to think tonight considering the principle of sola scriptura. Now, the principle of sola scriptura is a Reformation principle. This is one of the first five solas that was drew up at the time of the Protestant Reformation. Now, the Protestant Reformation is, I believe, the greatest revival of true Bible-believing religion since the day of Pentecost. And of course, 
the Protestant Reformation in the early 15th century changed the face of Europe, not only socially and educationally and even politically, but especially spiritually. Now, nobody, I believe, among historians today has really come to grips with the spiritual value and the spiritual power and impact that the Protestant Reformation had on the course of world history. And remember tonight that the Protestant Reformation was in actual fact a rediscovery of the gospel. It was a rediscovery of the gospel of God. The gospel of God that centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, much has been written about Martin Luther. Uh, much was penned by Martin Luther himself. And we as a church don't agree with everything that Martin Luther ever said or ever did. Uh, but we stand with him. And we stand with others in the Reformed tradition in the rediscovery of the gospel especially the heart of the gospel, that great doctrine of justification by faith alone. That goes to the very sum and marrow of what the gospel is. And of course, Luther, under God, as he preached and taught the pure word of God, seen Europe a gloriously and wonderfully changed. And one of the great doctrines that was to re-emerge at that time was the doctrine of sola scriptura. We believe, of course, it's one of the foundation stones of the evangelical reformed Protestant church. And I'm well aware that many use the word uh, Protestant politically today. I'm well aware that many may even use the word culturally without knowing what it really means. Um, we're, we're well aware that uh, many, even in the Christian church, would say, well, we don't actually use the word Protestant today. Well, we're just Christians. Well, I, I have a message tonight, and the message is this, that this Free Presbyterian Church is a Protestant and Reformed Church, and we have no apology to make for that. It, it is so because it follows in the great train of the Protestant reformers, the, the great men of the Reformation, historic men, um, heroic men, uh, men who preached and taught the gospel by scripture alone, revealed by the grace of God alone, received through faith alone in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. You see, if we were talking to a Roman Catholic theologian or even a Roman Catholic priest, um, the Church of Rome would Ah, uh, maintain, wait a wee minute, we're not against the scripture. We're not even against the word grace. We talk about grace, just like you do. Uh, and we're certainly not against faith. We believe uh, faith is, a, is a, a principle of belief. We're certainly not against Christ. Listen to it. We, we talk about Christ uh, every day. And we're certainly not against the glory of God. But you see, what the difference is, the, the, the Church of Rome to this day can't and won't ever add on the word alone. You see, the word sola children is a Latin word. And I have to confess, I know very, very little Latin. So, so I just learned it from the leg of Dr. Kearns, who was here this morning. He, he's the theologian of the church. He, he's the daddy of preachers. And uh, when we listen to him, he tells us, well, this word sola uh, in the Latin, it means alone or it means only. And the word scriptura 
Uh, again, it's a Latin word for the scripture. So put the two together, sola scriptura. What does it mean? Only the scriptures or, or, or the scriptures alone. And you see, that was a rediscovery and a re-emphasis at the time of the Protestant Reformation. The scriptures alone for matters that pertain to faith and practice. That the scriptures alone is the church's authority for what it believes by way of a creed and, and what it calls upon for way of conduct. Now, now think of our shorter catechism. Question two asks, what do the scriptures principally teach? And here's the answer. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of him. And that's that foundation principle coming to the fore. And very sadly, and I have to say this to this day, and this is true of the Roman Catholic Catechism of 1994, the Church of Rome calls this scriptures, uh, or sola scriptura principle, a Protestant heresy, right to this day. The Church of Rome refuses to add the word alone. And of course, when you take away the word of alone, what you have in actual fact is another gospel that the Apostle Paul lambasted against in Galatians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Now, I want to just ask, and with 15 minutes or maybe 17 minutes or 20, if I get long-winded and you pray that I don't, um, what, what does this phrase, scripture, sola scripture, I'm getting tongue-tied, sola scripture, what does it actually mean? Now, now when we hear it, what, what does it mean? What, 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 how does it benefit us? Well, let me just suggest four or five little things very quickly this evening. It means the infallibility of the scriptures. So if you're taking notes, this is what it means. The infallibility of the scriptures. So when our church says we believe in sola scriptura, only the scriptures, we believe in the infallibility of the scriptures. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll look at verse 12. Paul says, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. You see, the Apostle Paul is writing to instruct and encourage young Timothy. Timothy's the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And he's told him here in verse 12, yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus. Those words in Christ Jesus are Pauline words. They're, they're used 90 times in his letters. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Timothy, if you believe the Bible to be the infallible and errant word of God, you're going to be mocked. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be despised. I heard recently that Dr. Ron Johnson it's always good to learn something about your brethren. And um, I heard that he's told the story about his school days. I never knew he went to Campbell College. Uh, but I learned that. And he was in the divinity class. And he had to write an essay on Daniel. He had to write another essay on Jonah. They had a, a teacher who was a missionary, I believe, in India. And had left to go into the teaching profession. And um, the teacher said in the class, now, we, believe, we, we know that Jonah wasn't swallowed by a whale. It never happened. We know that Daniel wasn't in the den of lions. Uh, uh, and uh, this never happened. 
Uh, this is just to teach in an allegorical fashion about Israel's harsh treatment and suffering at the hands of others. This is the stuff of myth and allegory and legend. It's not literal. It's only parabolic. And we have boys here in this class. Now imagine in a class like that in Campbell College going back years ago. I never thought that such a thing would, would be existing. We have boys here and the teacher named them. And Ron Johnson was one of them. And you know what? They believe that this is literal, that Jonah was swallowed by a whale, that Daniel was thrown into the den of lions. And you know, they're more to be pitied than laughed at. And of course, that was said to embarrass them. That, that, that was said so that they could endure some sort of public humiliation at the hands of the other boys. And I want to tell you, that same mindset's alive and well. Thank the Lord it's not in every school, but there are teachers who would tell the same thing to our boys and girls. And even go into the higher echelons of education into the university. And it's the same thing. If we go into schools in the United States of America, do you know that they're not allowed to put up the Ten Commandments? I had a phone call this week to go on to the BBC uh, and debate with a humanist. I, I had to decline that because it just didn't fit in my <coughs> schedule. And I was so sorry that I couldn't. And I was asked... Um, would I advocate the teaching of the Ten Commandments again in school? And, and my answer was yes. Yes. A thousand times. But you see, we live in a society where there's an intense hatred for the Word of God. And just look at verse 13. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. This is the first century. This is Paul's day. There's evil men in Paul's day, just like today. There's seducers in Paul's day, just like today. And you know what? They're waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this is what Paul is saying. Timothy, no matter how many evil men are in the world, no matter, ma matter how many seducers they are who, who mock the Bible and tell you the Bible isn't infallible or inerrant, and don't take it literally. You, 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 these evil men are resting the scriptures to their own destruction. No matter how intellectual they are. No matter how much they hide behind the cloak of scholarship. Timothy, this is what I want you to do. Look at verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned. And hast been assured of. Knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then what follows? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, notice the wording. All scripture. It doesn't say all inspired scripture. Some of the, the more modern versions add the word inspired before scripture. As if to cast some doubt, as to, to sort of say, well, well, some scriptures are inspired, but some are not. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches. When the Bible uses the word scripture here, it's referring to the Old Testament. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, that word inspiration means theonustos in the Greek. It, it means the outbreathing of God or 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 breath of God. In other words, the Bible is a God-breathed book. God breathed into men by his Spirit and gave them his word. And these holy men of God speak that word forth. These holy men of God wrote that word down. Isn't that what Peter was referring to whenever he said in 2 
Peter uh, chapter 1 and in the verse 21 he, he made a tremendous statement. He said, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. In other words, it wasn't invented by human flesh or originated in the minds of men. But holy men of God spake as they were moved, borne along. The images of the wind filling the sail of a vessel and moving it on the crest of the waves. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. See, men of God, they breathed out the word of God. They didn't give their ideas, their views or their thoughts. We believe tonight in verbal inspiration, that that is word for word. We believe tonight in plenary inspiration. That means it's full and complete in all its parts, its history, its geography, its poetry. See, the Bible, young people, doesn't merely contain the word of God. The Bible is the word of God. It was infallibly given, Genesis to Revelation. I believe tonight that Genesis 3 is literal. Do you know tonight, if you don't believe that Genesis 3 is literal, if, if there wasn't a literal fall into sin by Adam, then we're destroying the very tenant of the gospel. Because if there was no fall into sin, that means that we're not sinners. And therefore there's no need of God's salvation. But of course the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. When do we sin? We sinned in Adam. And therefore we're under a death sentence in Adam. Someone said one time in an argument with a, an old uh, preacher who, who was very modernistic and liberal, uh, and he said that not only did he believe the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, he believed the very cover of the Bible because it kept the rest of the book clean. And it said, of course, Holy Bible. I remember hearing the story of a woman who was visited by her minister and when he got her to lift up her Bible to read a portion, uh, there was bits torn out. And he, he, he said to her, um, but you have bits torn out of your Bible, dear. Why is that? And she said, oh, that's okay. Uh, those are the bits that you said weren't true. So I just come home and tore them out. You see, that's the mindset of some men. That's the mindset of some ministers. And here's Timothy, and what's he exhorted to do? 2 Timothy 4 and 2, preach the word. You see, it's the inspired word of God. And he was to preach it in season and out of season. Did you know that in the Puritan era, way back in 1660, after Charles II ascended the throne, something like a thousand or was 1,100 ministers were put out of their churches, put out of their pulpits, put out of their manses. They became the nonconformists of the day. Uh, the people were told, don't help them, uh, don't feed them, don't, don't care for them, don't, don't do anything. And this particular minister, of course, he had been uh, preaching and uh, the, the bishop uh, called for him and he visited the bishop and bishop said, I've been hearing very, very bad reports about you. You've been preaching without authority. And he said, no, I haven't, Bishop. Bishop said, yes, you have. I've heard that. He said, no, I haven't. The bishop went on to say, well, well, I've heard that you're preaching in all kinds of places, at all kinds of times. And he said, no, Bishop, I haven't. I have been preaching with authority, the authority of God, and I have been preaching in season and out of season. That's the only two times I've been preaching. See, see, that's the mindset. And that's what... what Paul wanted to get through to Timothy. Preach the word, the inspired, infallible word of the living God. And that, that word, of course, is profitable for doctrine. 
It has to be proclaimed thus and thus, saith the Lord. That, that, that word that's preached is profitable for reproof. That there's a probing with the word of God. It cuts and convicts. It convinces. Remember the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And, and therefore the preacher can talk comfortably about sin. And the spirit of God will take the word to convince and convict of sin. The, the same about the fact that we have an immortal soul. We're convinced through the word of God that we have a soul. And about the need for salvation. And about Christ being the only saviour. And, and the reality of heaven. And, and hell itself. And, 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 a, and a real devil. See, see what, what is biblical tonight is really theological. And it's tied into these words, sola scriptura. And what does that mean? It means the inerrancy of the scriptures. The Bible, of course, is profitable for correction. It points us to the right way. It's a manual book for instructing in right living. And therefore, the preacher can come and plead. He can exhort. He can educate. He can try to enlighten through the scriptures. And we believe tonight in the inerrancy and the infallibility of the scriptures. The Bible is absolutely true. And as I've said, it doesn't merely contain the word of God. It is the word of God. And the holy God couldn't lie, could he? That there's lies in the Bible. That there's some very hard things to understand in the Bible. But it's an accurate recording of what even the devil said. And what the devil did. And what the devil is like. And what evil men are like. Remember Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word shall never pass away. Isaiah 8 and 20, to the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Again, the Lord Jesus said the scripture cannot be broken. There's, there's one God tonight who exists in three persons. And there's one book that's divided into two testaments. And the Bible is the word of God is not subject to tradition, church councils, or even the culture of men. And we need to recognize and rediscover the Bible for what it is. And we talk about sola scriptura. Let's remember this. We mean the infallibility of the scriptures. And I have to hurry. It also means the authority of the scriptures. You see, we'll ask a question. This is going to be asked in Reformation uh, 500. Uh, which came first, the church or the Bible? That, that's a very important question. And of course, the, the Church of Rome teaches to this day that the scripture that, that she talks about is the product of the church. In other words, the church gave us the Bible. And of course, it's a very big subject about the, the, the canon of Scripture. But I just want to say tonight, and I, I put this on record without delving too much into the subject, that the Bible is not the product of the church. The Bible is not subject to the judgment, the whims and notions of the church. And we ought to be careful tonight of individuals, of people, whether they be ministers or men or women, who try to sit in judgment on the scriptures. And you see, one of the great features of the Bible is this, that the, 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 the book is judged by no one, but the book judges everyone. You see, it's the book of God that exposes our sin. Even the sin of scholarship. It's the book of God that stirs the individual conscience. 
It's the book of God that displays what's right for right living. It's the book of God that calls for repentance. You see, I believe tonight in the scripture alone as the authority of the church for faith and practice. And the authority for the church is not in the Pope as the Roman Catholic Church teaches or in its tradition. Tradition's not in a par with scripture or, or in church councils. The authority of the church for its faith and practice lies alone in the scriptures. Whenever Luther was at the Diet of Worms, he, he was asked, are these thy books? And he answered that they were. And he was called upon them to recant the writings of these books. And this is what he said, here I stand. I can do none other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. So help me God. Amen. In other words, Luther was saying, look, all I'm doing is following the Bible. And of course, we could apply that today. And I, I, I don't mean to be derogatory. Sadly, in the Christian church, there, there, there's women ministers now ordained into the uh, office of the teaching elder. Uh, there's women brought into the ruling eldership. And yet the Bible says that a bishop or an elder is to be the husband of one wife. You see, we're going against scripture when we accept. That. And it's not a question of the woman being inferior. It's not a question about inequality. It's a question about authority. Do we accept the authority of the scriptures? Are we willing enough to be humble to submit to the authority of the scriptures? We can apply that in a thousand areas. Whether it comes down to the Lord's day whether it comes down to personal relationships, men with uh, women and, and women with men, and believers with unbelievers. There are so many areas. But the question for us is, are we willing to submit to the authority of the Scriptures? Very quickly, it means the sufficiency of the Scriptures. You see, once we have the Scriptures, this is what the, the, the Reformers recognised, that they didn't need anything else. In the 15th century, a Roman Catholic theologian, a man by the name of John Eck, who opposed Luther at the Diet of Worms, uh, he said this, and I quote, The scripture is not authoritative, nor a a a authentic, except by the authority of the church. In other words, we can accept the scriptures, but the scriptures need the authority of the church. They, they need church tradition. They, they, they need the church council. They need the church fathers. They, they need the Pope to understand them uh, so, so that they can tell us what the scripture really means. And Luther said, no, it was not by tradition, councils or the Pope. It was the sufficiency of the word of God alone. Let me just tell you very quickly, the bishop and elder is used interchangeably in the Bible. The Bible, of course, reveals our own sinnership. We're all of sinned and come short of the glory of God. Do you know that the church tradition says that's not right? Because Mary, according to Roman Catholic dogma and theology, was born sinless, the Immaculate Conception. Of course, they added to that heresy by the bodily assumption of Mary, and they've added to it by 
making Mary a co-redemptrix to Christ. You, you think of the word of God alone that teaches of Christ once and for all sacrifice for sin. Church tradition teaches that the, that the power uh, to um, resurrect Christ and recreate at what took place at the cross of Christ and his once and for all sacrifices um, has the ability of the, the Roman Catholic priest to, to bring that about. The Bible, of course, teaches that we're not to bow down to idols and the Church of Rome has taken the second commandment, done away with it, and they get round the ten by uh, reinventing it, by submitting uh, or, or redividing the tenth commandment into two. You think of the mediatorial ship of Christ, only one mediator between God and man, and the Roman Catholic Church is Mary. They don't get it from the Bible, but they get it from tradition. They get it from the Father's. They get it from the council. They, they get it from the Pope. Uh, do you know that Roman Catholic Church teaches that you can't know you have eternal life tonight? That's in the Catechism, 1994. You can't know that you have eternal life. You see, Luther, he recognised the infallibility of the Scriptures. He recognised the authority of the Scriptures alone. The sufficiency of the Scriptures. It was sufficient for him. For his faith and practice. One final thing and our time is gone. It means the clarity of scripture. The word of God makes clear. What God says about man. And what God calls upon sinners to do. Jerome tells us that we can't understand the scriptures. That we need the church to tell us what to believe. They argued with Luther, you have no authority to translate the scriptures from the Greek and the Hebrew into German. But that's exactly what Luther did. Do you know why he did it? There was the Bible. There was the Latin Bible. Rome said, well, we have the Bible. We're not withholding it. But it was in a language that people couldn't read or understand. And Luther, under God, produced the German Bible. And from that clarity... He was able to point men to Christ, women to Christ, because the Bible is really Christocentric. And if we finish tonight with that thought and our time is gone, I just want you to think, children, what's the Bible all about? And I can tell you, remember the word Bible, B-I-B-L-E, be instructed before leaving earth. God wants to instruct you that you're a sinner, that you need to be saved, that you have a soul and Jesus Christ is the only saviour of sinners. And if you go to Christ and say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I want to be saved, he'll save you this very night. I wonder if you asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord and saviour. Have you trusted him? Do you know the joy of eternal life and sins forgiven through faith in the precious blood of the Redeemer? Sola Scriptura. I've only begun to scratch the surface. As Dr. Kearns told you this morning, that's the introduction. And that's a bit like the introduction. But, but we will go to the second sola uh, next week in the will of God. And I trust that will whet your appetite for uh, learning about these things.